Today is April 30th, 2020. The U.S. passes 60,000 COVID-19 deaths as new data on a promising drug treatment is revealed. A new way to test for coronavirus infection may be available. Meat plant workers fear for their safety after President Trump orders plants to stay open. As a result of the coronavirus, boneless chicken will be scarce. U.S. colleges and universities are formulating how to reopen in the fall. And the governor of California intends to close beaches and parks due to overcrowding. This is C19 Daily. I'm Frank Schultz. And I'm Karen Romano. Karen, as we look, uh, we're looking obviously to the current environment and to what's going forward. And we keep talking about cures and vaccines and, and what's happening right now. But the good thing is one of these antivirals, um, one that we've talked about previously, seems to be showing some hope, which is good. Yeah. So our first article, it, it highlights the number of, unfortunately, deaths that we've had. Yes. And we talked about that. Uh, what was it yesterday? Two days ago around the projected number of deaths. But um, yeah, on a more positive note, we have talked about remdesivir before, and that's a antiviral that um, has been, you know, been used for other purposes in the past. Now, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which that's what Dr. Fauci leads, they're doing a mm-hmm. study on remdesivir, which is at a larger scale. So previously, we talked about a study that was done um, with maybe like 50 to 60 people in it and it looked promising. Now, this is a larger study with over 1,000 patients in it showing the same type of promising results where those who are treated with this um, when they have coronavirus are more people are going home and surviving. Now we don't have all, as usual, we don't have all the results in yet because it takes a little mm-hmm. while, but again, showing promise and um, can, can help people, you know, who, who have coronavirus while we're very desperate to find uh, treatments that will work. Yeah, definitely interesting. I know we've talked more about, um, Maybe not so much a cure, but a vaccine. But this is something, obviously, that's more in line with um, a cure, really, right? Well, more I would say more like a treatment. Treatment, a treatment, treatment right? For so, those affected rather than the like a cure or prevention of. It's not going to go away. It's right. just not going to affect people the same way. Exactly. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you know, and as we look at that, you know, looking at the antigen uh, treatments, right. And so the, or the test, not the treatment, sorry. Um, the new generation of tests here. Um, you know, it looks like we're, we're trying to get, I think the last time I read, there was something like 89 tests that were in the wild or being developed or something, um, something crazy, but you know, this is a new way of looking at it in this antigen test. Right. So how many times have we talked about the need for more testing and it's taking too long and the method in which we're doing the testing, all of which are a hot topic. So this, um, this article. Sorry about that. (laughs) Some of the, some of the result of doing a podcast at home here with a dog in the room. So my apologies. But he doesn't, have, the dog doesn't have coronavirus, right? So we're going to. No, no, um, but he's happy for the antigen test. Let me just tell you. Yeah, so, there's, so getting back to the article. Um, so there's a few different tests. So you have your um, traditional, what they call a PCR test um, that, that looks at the virus's genetic material. Then you also have, and that confirms that you have the, the virus, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's also antibody tests to show whether or not you did have the virus. And now you have hopefully some immunity to it. 
this the test that is being highlighted in this article is actually a test for diagnosing coronavirus that uses a different method. So the, the PCR test can take a, a, a certain amount of time for it to come back, where this, mm. this antigen test is an, a quicker way of doing the testing, and it could possibly be done at home. And it's just looking at a different way of testing. So an antigen is something that sits on top of the virus. You can think about, if you think of the virus as kind of like a ball, right? The antigen mm-hmm. is kind of like a protein that sticks up from that. Um, and it's a, it's a way to indicate or show whether or not you have the virus. It's, an, it's a new way to go after and test for it. So the, there's promise. It, it may, re- well, it does require more testing. But um, if, you, if you use this test and it comes back positive, what, the, what this article is talking about is you may still need to do the PCR test to confirm it until they really know if this test is accurate, 100% accurate or very high percentage being accurate. So definitely more hope. And we're looking for as many tools as we can get here with this virus and whether it's um, diagnosing that you have it or that you did have it. So I guess I would say positive news and we didn't have it at the end of the podcast. It's a good one though. There you go. I know it wasn't put at the end here. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Now, as we talk kind of switching into I think we always take the serious, serious items uh, in the middle here. Um, you know, looking at the food supply availability, and we talked initially about how everything's fine. Don't worry, food's fine. But people have to be able to process and deliver and pack and ship and do everything with food. So right now, you know, we keep talking about the, the meat plants, processing plants and, and packing plants are having issues with staffing because of the coronavirus. And this is an interesting article because it goes into some detail about some of the scarcity of the meats that are out there. And, and the warning here is that boneless chicken is the first to go. So, um, you know, I would bet on chicken futures if I was uh, investing today. Yeah. So the, this article, and I found that, you know, I'm not the biggest meat eater. So we kind of had a conversation about this. And I will say that I have seen this myself that at least locally here in Pennsylvania, where we live, um, I've seen that boneless chicken is it's hard to find or it can be hard to find. And this article talks a little bit more about how, I guess, companies are getting kind of creative in the meat they do, they do offer. So different cuts of beef that are being made available that you wouldn't necessarily have bought in the past uh, mm-hmm. because you can't get that chicken. And um, what were some of the highlights that we saw here? Uh, I, I'm not a big meat Some eater. of it was the end cuts, <laughs> right? So they yes. might take from, they said, the leg or the trunk of an animal, which they said they might promote like round steaks, which would be from the leg, which... Um, are not as tender, but they said, you know, hey, you could you could grill it to make it more tender. So they're trying to make the whole animal that's available really available for cut. And, and some of that they're pushing down to the grocers to have them process before they, you know, before, after they send it out, if you will. So um, being you know, a little more resourceful, use with, more. Yeah, with the supply that we do have. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, they even mentioned like sirloins and strip loins might be sent to restaurants typically, but now they're going to grocery stores to be used and just kind of repackaging, um, repackaging them. So, you know, I, I think everyone's getting creative um, and everyone's doing what they need to do. And, you know, obviously at this point, President Trump ordered meat plants to stay open through the Defense Production Act. But the reality of it is there might not be anyone there to open it or to run it. Yeah, um, this, so we, we talked about this before, how Trump is, is ordering these meatpacking plants to stay open because of the concern over the supply and the workers are protesting. They feel like it may not be safe for them to work and, you know, they want more, they want more protections in place. 
Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it kind of speaks to that shortage that we have. And is it really safe for these people to be working? And is it right to force them to work? So it kind of, this yeah. article highlights the, the debate that's going on around being, being forced to stay open, but also the concerns of these, these meat pack, uh, meatpacking plant workers. Now, and that makes sense. I think when we think about essential employees, and it's been an interesting categorization, even as you look at Pennsylvania's definition of essential employees, and, you know, I don't think too many people thought about food supply until recently, to be honest with you. And, you know, it might be interesting. Um, I know Jason Zimmerman is going to be on tomorrow, and he helped with some of the uh, stockpile planning for the for the country years ago at, at the cdc but it'll be interesting to talk to him about that and just kind of see how they thought about food supply uh, in some of the pre-planning because obviously you need to get food out you know we don't really not everyone grows most people don't grow their own food right they go to the grocery store exactly so you know there's really no fallback plan short of stockpiling your own food so it's just interesting to kind of think about that but you need people i mean at the end of the day look this goes back to business continuity planning and it's a loss of staff uh, scenario that we talk about a lot. So, you know, do you have multiple plants in different geographies? I don't know if that would have helped you here. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you make that work? Or do you, you know, can you get people further apart? I don't know. Yeah. Is, in what way do you, I, I, I don't know how you would, can, especially with this type of food, because how can you stockpile food that has a shelf life, like a shorter shelf life? I know you can freeze, mm-hmm. you can freeze meat, but um, is that something that's really doable? And would it lead? Yeah. Would it lead to a lot of waste if it wasn't used? Because it still has a shelf life. You can't you can't freeze something for indefinitely. And the flip side of it is, we you know, it's just having that discussion, right? To go to just like any business impact analysis that we would do, it's going and having a discussion with someone who's a domain expert and say, you know, if you couldn't get people in, what would you do? Right. What are the alternatives you can have here? Right. Um, and you can generally, you can figure anything out if we have some preparation time. But unfortunately now, you know, again, we don't want to put people in unsafe conditions, but we do need to have food in the meat and the, let's just say meat in the food supply. But food and food and supply. I think this also points towards the, the after action reviews or those lessons learned that a lot of companies will be doing uh, after all Super this kind important. of, as people go back to work and, and, and they're looking at what can they do differently next time, if there is a next time. Um, so lessons learned are going to be really important. And I'd be interested to see what gets published in the future as far as sharing those lessons learned. It shouldn't be a secret, Absolutely. right? It should be something that we share. Um, so Yeah, and no that. company should have to do it on their own either, you know. So that's part of what we advocate is trying to share your strategies. Yep. Exactly. Um, as we look at as we look at the fall, because we keep talking about how this is potentially, you know, going to have a resurgence in the fall. We think that the warm weather is going to hold it away a little bit, but we don't think a vaccine. You know, I'm going to take the 12 to 18 month estimate down because we've been saying that for two months now and say maybe it's a 10 to 16 month estimate. I'll be optimistic. Let's be optimistic. Um, <laughs> yeah, but still, colleges are supposed to open in the fall, and they're trying to figure out how do they reopen and what do they do. And colleges have a unique kind of challenge versus your everyday school, like your elementary schools and high schools, because not only are these people in close proximity to each other, they're also living in close proximity. So they're not going home typically at the end of the day, they're living together in dorms, they're together in cafeterias, and they're together in these classrooms. This article talks around what is the plan and some of the plans that colleges are starting to look at to open up in the fall. So they have a few concerns. One is that they they want to open in the fall because economically they need the tuition 
to to keep running and they have they have very mm-hmm. i guess the one art this in this article it talks about about 50 percent for this one particular um university 50 percent of their funding comes from tuition so they could be fa- facing bankruptcy if they don't open so there's some urgency there mm-hmm. in trying to get these colleges open but then it's talking about in what ways can they socially distance because you have your dorms you have your cafeterias and other places where you are very in, in close proximity and it's just it really talks about intense social distancing n- the need for possible heavy self-quarantining um in whether it's in dorms mostly in the dorms and they said whether it's like a whole dorm or a floor of a dorm what are the different approaches they can take to try to to keep coronavirus at bay and handle any outbreaks that they will see in the fall it's crazy it doesn't look like yeah. they have a magic bullet for it though like as i read through this there was not like a proven plan just being discussed at this point to get these schools back open distance, distance learning or some concept around that but right. you know um as we talked about airlines that are trying to come up with a strategy of hey we won't fill the middle seat but you're still breathing each other's air and you're still you know exactly within uh uh, six feet of each other. Yeah, so, like how big is the middle same seat? Same thing with a college. Is the seat two yeah. feet? I mean, I don't even know if it's that big. So I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, same thing with a college though, right? When you yeah. think about it, you're like, what are you going to do, space classrooms out? But what about, you know, entry-level classes that are higher? I don't know how they're going to do it. Higher in volume. Yeah. Crazy. Well, you know, people still are trying to figure out what to do. They're, you know, for the most part, not working or working from home. They have cabin fever. And, um, you know, everyone wants to go to the beach. And Governor Newsom of California says, uh, stop, you know, don't, don't, I don't want all of you out there partying on the beach um, a foot away from each other. We talked about this earlier, I think it was earlier this week, maybe been in the beginning of the week where he had like his, I can't remember his quote, word for word, but was around the fact that just because it's a sunny day here on the coast, the virus doesn't go away. Um, Because they saw last weekend with nice weather, those beaches were really crowded. Well, he's taken steps to close those state beaches as well as the parks because too many people are crowding them. I mean, because yep. he's not going to mess around here and he's warned people and, and sees that people cannot, um, I guess, self-regulate was the, the best word for that to, to make sure there's social distancing. So he's going to enforce it now. Um, it has not come down yet, but the intent is that he will put those orders in later today. Kind of reminds me of, uh, or maybe we need to put Chris Christie in here, if you remember his oh, comment, yeah. where he said, uh, you got, you maximized your tan, you had your drinks, now get off the beach. And I think that was when Hurricane Sandy was coming up, right? Yes. And uh, that was his famous, I, I, I took some uh, expletives out of that line, but, you know, clearly he, he was kind of said to people, like, this isn't good for you, get off the beach. Yes, I remember so, that. <laughs> I do. Yeah, so we'll hope a, a milder version comes out of that. Uh, I almost feel like people are, that people are just going to find new places to go because I, th- I, I think that quarantine fatigue is real and people are just trying to find places to go and um, they, maybe they'll find other places or just go to places that are closed anyway. I've seen that locally around here. Mm-hmm. People, Parks yeah, are, they're, just, they're yeah, going anyway. Like and I don't know how they're going to enforce it, but I'm sure there'll be more in the news about this next week. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> next week, next week on C19 Daily. Awesome. Well, that's it for today, April 30th on C19 Daily. Karen will be out tomorrow on Monday. I have Jason Zimmerman uh, coming on tomorrow to uh, co-host with me. And then we have an interview on Monday, both of which should be 
pretty interesting, but Karen, we'll miss you. Enjoy your, uh, your weekend and stay safe. I will. Thank you. Thank you to everybody. That's it for us today. I'm Frank Schultz. And I'm Karen Romano. Stay safe. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Thank you.